This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens Tuning into another episode of the Keep It Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Neil Dubrovsky. Very excited for this week's show. With me, as always, the fantasy hockey robot himself, the maestro of the matchup, the player projection pundit, the Corsi Authority, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. I thought you were going to go crazy frog on us there for a second. I feel like some enterprising listener can definitely work with what you just offered up to create a, a crazy frog comparable. Not that anybody wants that or the world needs it. I'm just saying it's possible. You know, Brian, I'm sure lots of people enjoy your references to things that no one's heard of. I don't know what this crazy frog is. I Are you know- kidding me? I can't get into it now, though. We've the got crazy two- frog. Crazy frog. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Sorry. This will be my alarm for every time you say something I have no idea what you're talking about. But okay, we've got a big show today. We have no time for any frogs or any craziness or any shenanigans of any sort because there was a lot that happened in the NHL last week. Lots of injuries with like major you know, ramifications and then like hot streaks and cold streaks and line combinations all over the place. Coaches are going nuts. So we're going to get into it all this week. I'm very excited. Thanks to everyone who joined us live in the chat room. Matthew. The other Matthew, Alex, hello everybody. And Brian, before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by the greatest fantasy hockey website of all time, DauberHockey.com. They are up. You know, not every fantasy hockey website that you go to has its servers running correctly all the time. There's one recently that I tried to go to. It's not up. Dauber Hockey, always up with great articles, like the daily ramblings, giving you updates of like daily what's going on in hockey. Plus they've got all their tools, starting goalies, line combinations, the mid-season guide is out and available for purchase, which includes a whole new set of projections for the second half of the season and all that analysis. It's great. Check it out, DauberHockey.com. Okay, Brian, let's get into the show. Starting with injuries, the first fantasy hockey headline of the week is definitely Kevin Shattenkirk. Out of nowhere, out indefinitely with a torn meniscus in his knee, which will require surgery. According to Roto World, this was their quote. This helps explain why Shattenkirk has been playing so poorly. Like, I guess so. I would hope so for his sake, because he's been so terrible. We talked on the show last week. We asked Steve Laidlaw, by the way, 
great guest, Steve Laidlaw. We really appreciate him coming on. But yeah, uh, he had just one assist over his last 13 games. This is Kevin Shattenkirk. He started the season with 18 points in 25 games and then completely fell off going into the season. We were talking about him as like a sure thing for like a ton of power play points, probably a 50-point pace. He's been a disaster. So I'm sure his owners, unfortunately, it's a cold, cold world when you're playing fantasy hockey. And I'm sure the owners aren't so disappointed to have him injured and they could put him on their IR and pick someone up because, you know, it would have been scary to drop him and give him to someone else and potentially have him heat up on someone else's roster. This way you get to stash him and we'll see what happens. If Ryan McDonough is available in your free agency, then your situation becomes very easy because I feel like with Shattenkirk out, of course, Ryan McDonough is going to take over on the top power play on the Rangers. So go from the second power play to the top power play. He had a power play assist on Pavel Buchnevich's goal yesterday versus Colorado in the first Shattenkirkless game. So it seems to me like that's a really easy choice. Ryan McDonough is definitely going to benefit. If he's available, you got to add him. What do you think, Brian? Like last year, McDonough had 42 points in 77 games. He's on a similar pace right now. He has 22 points in 42 games. All assists, by the way. He hasn't scored a goal yet. So, I mean, you would think he might even be better than last year now that he's moving up to the top power place. What do you think? He's like an obvious ad in pretty much any format, right? First off, to your skepticism about whether a toy meniscus was explaining why Kevin Shattenkirk was playing so poorly, it probably was affecting him quite a bit. He's been dealing with this for the entire regular season. He he said it started bugging him late in the preseason and he took steps to play through it with like some shots or whatever, uh, but it definitely caught up to him over the last four to six weeks with the big drought Shattenkirk was in. He'd said like he'd been having trouble accelerating. I'm sure that's just a part of the issues he was trying to play through. The fact that Kevin Shattenkirk still managed an overall decent pace means that, yeah, if you're looking towards next year, like in a keeper format, he's a great buy low target. Even in a one year, he expects to be back before the end of the regular season. So maybe He can come back in time to give you a hand in the playoffs if you can get Shattenkirk for a cheap piece that you can handle doing without and you can, you know, bank on surviving until the playoffs come, until he comes back. I mean, there is some risk there, of course, because we don't know for sure that he'll be back in time, but he says he hopes to. So that's a hopeful thought. Meanwhile, yes, Ryan McDonough, an obvious ad. He's outlasted Dan Boyle and Keith Yandel holding down the power play roles in New York. So uh, he can handle a 40, 45 point pace while in that top power play role. A great ad for your fantasy team if he's out there to just pop in a power play quarterback who can also block some shots. Yeah, he's great. Probably not available most leagues. So then you look at the next level of defenseman on the Rangers. Anthony D'Angelo got recalled from the minors with the Shattenkirk injury. He had no points yesterday, but he did put up two shots, four hits, four blocks. He played only 16 minutes. He didn't get any power play time, but actually the, there only was one power play unit that went out. That was the top Ryan McDonough unit. So maybe Anthony D'Angelo will get some second unit power play time. Maybe also Brady Shea could be the next in line to get an uptick. Like Of those two, are either of them on your radar right now as players to potentially look at in a deeper format where like Ryan McDonough obviously was owned but these guys are out there yeah Anthony D'Angelo is someone who couldn't stick with the Rangers in an eight game stint to open the season that run he had just one point though he did manage 14 shots though also very few peripherals but also some power play time so a lot of on this hand uh, not so great on the other hand there seemed to be some promise there he's also had a couple games in that first run where he played five minutes or less a lot has been made about his troubles fitting in, so to speak, with his teams in junior, in Arizona, and now in New York. 
But here's an opportunity for him. And he's coming off an okay run with the Hartford Wolfpack of the AHL. He had two goals and 11 assists for 13 points in 29 games with Hartford. So yeah, he's on my radar. The guy has some pedigree, but I'm not jumping for him on the second power play unit where he did also play, like I said, during his first eight games of the season without accomplishing very much. Brady Shea, absolutely not someone to be discounted either on that Rangers blue line. He had 39 points last year with seven power play points. Those 39 points basically came in like two big runs. We'll see if his opportunity increases here enough to be able to go on one of those runs again. So far, it has not. Brady Shea had played similar minutes in the Rangers' first game without Shattenkirk as as he was playing while Shattenkirk was healthy and still no power play role. But yeah, he's someone I'm keeping an eye on. Okay, so yeah, two names to at least add to your watch list if you're in a deep league and defensemen are tough to get. And, you know, you were mentioning that Anthony D'Angelo has had trouble, like, maybe fitting in on the roster and getting decent ice time. Another player who's had some problems with that is Pavel Buchnevich. Remember when he started the year on fire? He was playing on the top line, top power play. He was getting points all the time. Everyone was feeling so smart for having added him out of free agency at the right time. And then just he totally cooled off. He ended up going, like, the fourth line for a while, like, off the top power play. Pretty much disappeared. Dropped in all leagues. Well, guess what? He is back. For some reason, the coach has decided, all right, Pavel, you've done enough time. Let's get you back on line one. Let's get you back on power play one. He was on line one with Rick Nash, who, by the way, we'll talk about in a second, and Mika Zibanejad. He was also on the top power play with Nash, Zibanejad, Zuccarello, and Ryan McDonough. Buchnevich had a power play goal yesterday. He had a goal and assist versus Buffalo on Thursday. He had an assist on Tuesday versus Philly. So it seems like he's back. He's If, if he was owned at the beginning of your year when he was on this hot streak and you were regretting not having added him, here's your chance to do it again. I feel like there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to stay in this plum deployment because we've seen him get bumped in the past but while he's there I feel like he's got to be owned right absolutely I owned him during those first runs I've dropped him since but now I already own him again in one league looking to own him in at least one other we've mentioned before how Vigneault hasn't liked Buchnevich and that's the reason why Buchnevich has not been getting the opportunities that he saw earlier in the season despite still consistently being night in night out one of the Rangers top forwards both in like raw skill and also in handling the goals for differential for while he's on the ice. Now it's interesting though. You've got Alain Vigneault on the hot seat to some extent, looking to hold his job for next year. And so maybe Pavel Buchnevich, Vigneault has decided that's not the hill he's willing to die on, or maybe Buchnevich will be demoted tomorrow. Who knows? But if Buchnevich does hold that spot, and he honestly has a pretty good case to make for deserving it, absolutely worth owning. Yeah, and then I mentioned Rick Nash. He has four goals and one assist in his last three games. And like I said, back also on the top line and top power plays had three or more shots pretty much every game lately. I'd actually probably take Rick Nash over Pavel Buchnevich because he's in the same position, but he also shoots a lot more. So if shots is a category in your league, I'd even go Nash. Like, what about you? Do you I, I feel like both of them are pretty similar at this point. Gah. Like, I see what you're saying in terms of numbers, sure. And Nash probably offers you a little more certainty that he's going to help you in some way each night with getting those shots on goal. But I expect Buchnevich to outpoint Rick Nash if they each stay in their present role. Maybe not by enough to make up for the difference in shots. Okay, fair enough. Okay, next injury, Ryan Nugent Hopkins suffered cracked ribs and a bruised sternum and is expected to miss five to six weeks. It was strange. There was like a tweet by the Edmonton beat writer that was like, uh, R&H is like, fine, you know, he's just going to need a, a day or two of a rest and he'll be back. And like the next day, I was like out five to six weeks. So I guess like things really changed in his prognosis. It's a tough blow for R&H. He's been having an under the radar, really nice bounce back season. He has 31 points in 46 games. It's a 55 point pace. He had just recently bumped Milan Lucic from the top power play. So things were looking even 
better. But now he's out. He's going to be out for a while. So let's take a look at the ever-revolving Edmonton line combinations. It's kind of like, I'll tell you the lines. We'll give our takes. But as a listener, like, this might not even be relevant by the time Edmonton plays again. Like they did win yesterday against Vancouver five to two. So that's usually a sign that they're going to stick with the lines that worked, but you know, you got to check every game, but here's what we were looking at yesterday. Kajula Maroon and McDavid on line one, and then dry Lucic and Pugliarvi on line two. Those were the two like significant lines. And then the top power play was dry Maroon, McDavid, Ryan Strom and Darnell nurse. That's what that was the top power play. That's interesting. So here's like my quick hits from these lines. And once again, you've heard my caveat. Who knows if this will last? But okay, Brian, first of all, Pat Maroon, I assume back now on the ad list, top line, top power play, playing with Connor McDavid. Whenever he's there, he does well. He has four goals and one assist in his last four games. He also had three hits yesterday, as we know Pat Maroon is great for. So he's looking really good, especially in your hits league. You want to get him back. Brian, I'll just tell you all my hits, and then you could you know, tell us what you think about all of them at the end. So then you have Kajula. Like I said, Drake Kajula, I imagine now he's worth watching at the very least. On line one with Connor McDavid, nothing yesterday in his new role. He got second unit power play time. I don't know. He's been there before. Didn't do much. Probably won't last, but at least for a very short-term ad on a day when you're just trying to get an extra game. Never hurts taking the player playing with Connor McDavid on line one. Uh, The next thing I want to say is that I recall... All first half of the season, we were worried about Andre Sekera potentially coming back and stealing Oscar Clefbaum's top power play spot. And then out of nowhere, Sekera's doing nothing. He's not even getting any power play time. It's Darnell Nurse that's taking Clefbaum's spot right now. Nurse yesterday had no points, but was plus four. So he was on the ice for a ton of like even strength points. Plus he has four goals and one assist in his like previous four games before yesterday. And Darnell Nurse takes a ton of shots, like or at least a good number of shots. He also hits and blocks. Seems like he's a no-brainer ad at this point in a bangers and match league. Once now that he's on the top power play and he helps in all of your peripherals, that's a great ad. And then of course, conversely, like, are we finally giving up on Oscar Clefbaum? He has just one assist in his last nine games. He's been bumped, not even by Andre Sekera. Okay, so those are all of my kind of quick thoughts about the Edmonton line combinations. What do you think about all these? Okay, I'm gonna rewind back to Drake Kajula who before getting this new uh, this new line deployment had been playing with Mark Latestu and Zach Cassian uh, not doing much with that time either. He was playing with Maroon and Nugent Hopkins for a while, like you said, uh, but he still like, remember when he was on the top line? Of course, anybody's got a good chance when they're with McDavid to put up points. It's the same line as always, but on the season, uh, he's been very largely irrelevant. 11 points in 35 games, averaging just 13 and a half minutes a night. Of course, he went up to 17 minutes in his last game. So things are changing. We can't totally just go by those numbers, but I'm still, uh, I don't think he's some offensive dynamo just waiting to capitalize on a great chance. I don't think he's any more capable of capitalizing than any other guy who ends up playing with McDavid. Patrick Maroon, on the other end, has been on a run uh, for a little longer because before playing with Kajula and McDavid, he's playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl for a few games, which was working out really well for him. So it's nice with the lineup shakeup that he gets to stay with McDavid. He did spend some time playing with Mike Camilleri before Drake Kajula and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They were all together. So like while he's on the top line, if I have to pick one guy, I'm going Patrick Maroon between the group. Elon, who else do I need to comment on? Well, there was the whole defense situation with Darnell Nurse bumping Oscar Clefbaum. Right. Okay. Darnell Nurse, absolutely worth owning in just about all formats. He offers you shots, blocks, hits, power play time, good run of points lately. Elon, you mentioned his power play deployment as well. A lot of people might not realize that Darnell Nurse is worth owning just because he's not a big offensive dynamo. But even when he's not scoring, he can probably add some value. If you are someone who's like to own, I don't know, Radko Gudas 
in the past. Nurse is doing a good job of playing that sort of role for your fantasy team. And Oscar Clefbaum, yeah, we're well over, well, not well over, we're over halfway into the season now. And we are still scratching our heads at what exactly to do with Oscar Clefbaum because things are just not getting better. We had a question on the Facebook group about whether, uh, I think it was Joey. Joey asked if he should be ditching Oscar Clefbaum. And he said, Osterly, Vatnin, Zadarov, and Martinez were the other options. The league is very streamy, seven moves available per week. My answer to Joey was that Clefbaum still has the better upside, will forever have the better upside, but streaming from a pool that includes Osterly and Vatnin probably gets you better value until the day that Clefbaum starts reaching that upside. It's just about how much patience you have left and how much you need to get out of that roster spot. If Clefbaum is someone you need production from while he's on your roster, then it's probably time to give that up, let go, see if there's a better option. If there's like a halfway better option, might be time. If you can survive without any points from him, like say if he's your fifth defenseman, I don't know. We're just right at the point where you can probably justify dropping him anyway. Here's the reason to keep him though. If you're still on the fence, still getting over 21 minutes, still taking nearly three shots per game, about two and a half blocks per game. And this is over these last nine games where he has only one point. So at least he's registering on the score sheet somehow, just not tallying actual points. He reminds me like the, the sort of profile he's got right now is like an Eric Johnson, Ivan Provorov, Colton Pareko at this point, but of course with less offense than any of them, but still the upside, the upside. <laughs> well, the thing is of these last nine games that you're looking at, eight of them, I believe he was on the top power play. Just this most recent one, he was bumped for Darnell Nurse. And I think he had less than those 21 minutes. So let's, I guess you've held him this long. I know I, at some point you have to let go, but I feel like at this point, let's see if Darnell Nurse can actually hold this top power play spot. Like I said, the Oilers did win. I agree with you. Like if Vatnin or an Osterley, or I think it's Osterley are, are both available, maybe it's time to swap. It depends on your situation. I agree with you. In the long term, there's still that possibility that Clefbaum can be the most valuable guy who gets back on the top power play starts clicking there maybe he's just not that good on the top power play i don't know also fyi brian with the win yesterday cam talbot has put together two good games in a row so that's a start let's see if he can make his second half this year match his second half from last year which is really great okay next injury let's talk about sebastian aho who is going to be out indefinitely as he sustained both a lower body injury and a concussion stemming from his collision with mark giordano last sunday so that was a really bad hit for him that's brutal who knows how long he'll be out that's two serious sounding injuries we've only seen one hurricanes game since which was their 3-1 victory over the red wings yesterday they're playing today against vegas they're losing five to one i don't have those stats readily available but as of yesterday it looked like elias lindholm took aho's spot on line one with stall and teravainen and lindholm had two goals and five shots he was also on the top power play with toba teravainen uh stall victor rask and justin falk so it looks like Elias Lindholm, if anyone's going to benefit from this Aho injury, maybe it's Lindholm. He's basically on track right now to match his 50-point pace from last season. Do you think Aho being out long-term will help him do any better, or do you just still see Elias Lindholm exactly like you saw him before this injury? I see him about the same as before. I'm still having a hard time getting to the point where I think Sebastian Aho being out is really going to be helpful for anyone in Carolina. In all situations, looking at Lindholm's numbers so far this year, Lindholm and Aho have been tied pretty closely together in offense. Uh, no hurricane has assisted more often than Sebastian Aho on Elias Lindholm's goals. It's happened five times on Lindholm's 14 goals. No hurricane has picked up an assist on the same goal as Lindholm more than once, except Sebastian Aho, who has done it on five of Lindholm's 13 assists. And another two of Lindholm's assists have been on Sebastian Aho goals. So altogether, 
Sebastian Ajo has been a part of 44% of Lindholm's points. Perhaps it's just a function of them playing so often together. Only Jordan Stahl's played more minutes with Lindholm than Ajo has, and both Stahl and Ajo are way up there compared to the rest of the lineup. And I guess that's what we're about to find out, though I'm not expecting any more to happen for Lindholm without Ajo than what was happening with him. So yeah, at this point, it's hard to come up with like who is the best Carolina Hurricane to own, at least in terms of forwards. Like Jeff Skinner, who was supposed to be the for sure best guy to own, or maybe him and Ajo, there was a conversation. But like, what's up with Jeff Skinner? He has one point in his last six games. I think he had an assist today. So make that two points in his last seven. Not on the top line, not on the top power play. He's down to a 50-point pace himself, and he only has 14 goals, which is far off track to him matching his 37 goals from last year. I guess maybe one thing that can cheer up a Skinner owner is last year, actually. He ended the year a lot stronger than he started it. He had 19 goals in his last 31 games to get up to those 37 goals. But, like, I'm going to be wet blanket by Brian Com here and say that also Skinner really did get those last few goals with a really high shooting percentage last year. So throwing that out there, I don't know. Brian, do you have any reason to expect Jeff Skinner to be bouncing back in the second half of the season and getting back to what people drafted him expecting? Right now he's playing with Lee Stempniak and Derek Ryan, which is not especially exciting. Like I said, not on the top power play, but I, he takes shots. I don't know. Is there anything else there? This most recent Jeff Skinner dry spell has his owners going all superintendent chalmers over him. But to be the dryer of the wet blanket, uh, thanks for like really associating my name with wet blanket. Uh, how about the fact that Jeff Skinner has only scored three times on his last 61 shots? That goes back to early December, which is awful for his fantasy owners, yes. But it also means he has just a 5% conversion rate despite maintaining Pretty good shot numbers. And on the season, Skinner's still on pace for more than 280 shots on goal, just as he was last year. So, hey, if Jeff Skinner does shoot 17% after the All-Star break again this year, he pretty well deserves to. Not to say that 5% now predicts 17% later. But I do fully expect a bounce back from Jeff Skinner. It's always dangerous to recommend a Carolina Hurricane to score. But at the right price, I think he could be a good buy-low candidate for the second half. Yeah, and at least he's going to help you with those shots on goal if your league counts that. One piece of good news, if I could tell you one player on Carolina that's exciting right now, it's Justin Falk, who has five points in his last five games before today, and he also had 20 shots on goal over those last five games. So if he was dropped after his terrible start, I definitely don't think he should be in free agency anymore in any league. Like He's also, of course, on the top power play and doing well. And like I said, lots of shots. Okay, next injury. We've already talked about this injury a couple times, but things are just getting worse and worse on the Corey Crawford front. The Chicago Sun-Times reported on Tuesday that Crawford could be lost for the bounce of the season due to vertigo-like symptoms. But then on Thursday, Blackhawks senior advisor Scotty Bowman, heard of him, clarified that Crawford isn't dealing with vertigo, but rather suspected post-concussion syndromes. I don't know. Either of of those seems pretty bad to me. Whatever the problem, we, of course, first of all, wish Corey Crawford well, hope he'll be fine. But also we need to start considering this possibility that he might be done for the season. And if that's the case, like going into the Blackhawks bye week, My hunch was that Anton Forsberg would get a nice long look as the starter so the Hawks could see like what exactly they have in him. Like once I saw that, okay, Crawford's out for a while. They've got this a young rookie Anton Forsberg. Let's see what we got. I thought that was the case. I was recommending to people, maybe go grab Anton Forsberg. Let's see how he'll do. If you added him because of my advice, you probably hate me right now because he got blown up yesterday by the Islanders. He let in five goals on 35 shots before getting pulled for Jeff Glass. Jeff Glass also kind of sucked. He let in two goals on 11 shots in the remainder of the game. It's already been announced that Jeff Glass is going to be playing tomorrow versus Tampa Bay. 
which means that he's probably going to have another terrible game, though Tampa has been slumping. We'll get to that. Maybe this is actually a great opportunity for Tampa to break out of their funk getting to play against Jeff Glass and the Chicago Blackhawks. Anyways, Brian, like, what's your take at this point? Like, we added Anton Forsberg in our joint league. Like, only wins matter in that league. We don't even have to worry about if he has a bad save percentage or not. We just want the wins. I thought if he's going to play a lot of games as a starter on Chicago, that would be great. At this point, do we hold on, hoping for at least he'll play Wednesday's game of this week? Well, Chicago has a good schedule this week, by the way. Monday, Wednesday, when most teams are playing Tuesday, Thursday. Um, yeah, like, or, like, do we think it's just going to be a timeshare? Do we think neither of these goalies will be worthwhile long-term and the Hawks will trade for someone? Like, what's your take right now on what to do with this Chicago goalie situation? Say both of them are available in free agency in your league. They probably both deserve to be available in free agency because neither one is running away with the job. And I think it's a timeshare until further notice. So I have not changed my opinion that Anton Forsberg should probably be the guy to go forward. You mentioned a trade. Look, we don't usually deal in trade speculation, but I did wonder if they have a look at a goalie who's going to be a UFA next year. The thing with Chicago is that they're really hamstrung by the caps. So someone like Yaroslav Halak or even Kari Lettinen, probably too expensive for them, and maybe that's a good thing. But players like Peter Morazic, who's going to be an RFA, not UFA, but still, Cam Ward, Andre Pavlik could all fit the bill as goalies with expiring contracts who may be considered expendable by their teams. Of course, you have Aaron Dell and Philip Grubauer also becoming UFAs, but uh, I don't know how well that meshes with Chicago's plans, how much they want to spend. They might have spent more for a younger asset that they probably have no intention on holding on to once Crawford is healthier. Uh, here's an out there option while we're speculating. Andrew Hammond, who we just love to throw out in any situation, he's currently playing in Belleville, which is the Senators AHL affiliate, despite having been traded to Colorado, who uh, have declared no interest in holding on to him. The Avalanche are just trying to find a trade destination for him, and the Senators agreed uh, for everybody it's best if he continues playing in Belleville in the meantime. But then uh, he's probably not even a good option because is Andrew Hammond any more a sure thing than Forsberg or Glass? Not sure. Possibly. But who knows? Anyway, Chicago is 5-6 and six since Corey Crawford has been out with injury. So um, not doing so well. Need to figure something out. Clearly haven't found it yet. It'll be fun to see what ends up happening here, I guess, unless you're a, a Chicago fan, in which case it might be a little painful. Elon, I've actually got a question that I'm going to pose to you at the end of this long ramble. I have Anton Forsberg. This is a wins-only league. Should I swap him out for a goalie we're going to talk about later in the show, Aaron Dell? Mm, interesting. Okay. So I'm going to procrastinate for a second while I think about that. It's kind of funny. You mentioned these names like Mrazek, Cam Ward, Pavlik as like potential goalies that Chicago could trade for. The point is to like improve their goaltending, right? Not pick up terrible goalies to like replace their current potentially terrible goalies. Like I think Anton Forsberg actually has somewhat of a pedigree and might be good if they give him a chance to like learn what it's like. Like I definitely think it would be a really dumb thing for them to get Mrazek, Ward, or Pavlik. I know you still hold a candle for Peter Mrazek, but like uh, we haven't seen anything from him for a long time i know he had that good run in his first year okay uh so you're asking me who you would want more between forsberg or aaron dell uh for wins only give me aaron dell because i feel like he's probably at this point almost guaranteed to get at least like let's say 40 percent of the san jose starts and it could be more anton forsberg like, this is a limited ads league where like once you pick someone you kind of have to stick with them who knows like what's gonna happen with anton forsberg jeff glass is playing tomorrow so and you like you said maybe they'll trade for someone so i think i would play it safe and just go aaron dell he's also probably a better chance of getting you the win when he does play because he's actually a good goalie and anton forsberg uh we don't know yet maybe, maybe not didn't look so great yesterday 
Uh, okay, Brian, so one good piece of good news for the Hawks is that Artem Anisimov will be returning tomorrow, though, like, the line combinations for Chicago for tomorrow's game that I saw, like, that they were running in practice today are so strange. It was a tweet from Eric Lear, and apparently Anisimov was on line three with Hartman and Debrinkit, while Kane and Schmaltz had Patrick Sharp on their wing, which is not what I expect. Like, I assumed it was going to go back to Anisimov, Schmaltz, and Kane. It seemed like that was a successful trio. Maybe they're easing Anisimov back into the lineup. So we'll have to wait and see. Seems like at this point, you could wait on jumping back on Artem Anisimov while he's on line three. And, like, there's no way we're recommending for people to add Patrick Sharp, right? Like, I can't see this lasting. I feel like the over-under on how long Patrick Sharp stays on line two is, like, 1.5 games. Like, I feel like, and I would bet the under on that. Fair enough. Who knows? The The Chicago Lions are constantly being blended. If you want to go for it the same way you've gone for Hartman or Hinestrezzo, like that's, this is always the line. It's like, go for the guy if you've gone for the guy in that spot in the past. If that guy has not interested you in the past, there's no reason for him to interest you if his name is Patrick Sharp. Okay, Brian, and one last thing on the Hawks. I'm surprised I haven't asked you this yet already at some point this season. Like, is Duncan Keith a snoozer at this point? He has no points in his last four games. He only has 12 points in his last 26 games, which would be like less than a 40-point pace if you put that over a whole season. Jordan Osterley has been sneaking in, sometimes taking Duncan Keith's, what I thought was for sure, hold on the top power play spot. But sometimes Osterley's been there instead. Like, how long before people can consider dropping Duncan Keith? Like, or has he earned enough goodwill to you that you'd be holding him all year like no matter what happens like he was such a sure thing going into the season always good for like a ton of power play points at least like 45 points but he's been terrible i have been holding him all year in two leagues and uh, whether you hold him or not obviously depends on what other options exist in one of my leagues nobody else comes even close to his upside in the other it's limited moves and maybe i'll gain like five points at the end of the day uh, and i'm not sure that's a move i want to make and there's a reason for that First, let's look at what he's done so far this year. Duncan Keith, well, not a whole lot. 22 assists, has yet to score a single goal. Zero goals for Duncan Keith on 75 even strength shots. Even a modest shooting percentage based on his career numbers would have seen him grab a few goals by now. Uh, Also, no goals on 24 power play shots. Could probably have one or two there too. Mix in a sub 6% on ice shooting percentage, and there's just not a lot happening while Keith is on the ice, even though his expected goals and shot generation numbers at all strengths suggest that he should have been holding steady from past years. Of course, having less power play time on ice has hurt, but it shouldn't have hurt him this much. I'm holding out hope for him, more hope than, say, cleft bomb, but of course you're going to get fewer peripherals with Keith while you're waiting with him. Yeah, like uh, Matthew in the chat room here saying Keith goes in and out of free agency in my 10-team league. Yeah, 10-teamer is very different. You own him in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, which is a 14-team league. A lot fewer options available in free agency. I feel like you're the type of guy you're going to be holding Duncan Keith all season, even if he doesn't get a point like for the rest of the season. But, you know, like, he's been so good for so many years, it's hard to let go. You'd never know when he's going to be able to get back on that horse. If, Brian, you said that it's going to be interesting to check in on Chicago for the rest of the season, see what happens in net. One fun way to check in on an NHL team is to go live to their games and see them in person. And if you want to get tickets to go to a game, you don't want to go through all the confusion and complication of a bunch of these ticket sites. You can instead have a nice, easy, fun process by using our sponsor for this week's episode, which is our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last minute deal, planning a night out, you need to find a perfect gift. SeatGeek helps you to find the best seats at the best prices 
fully guaranteed. As you all know, there's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person. Imagine if you could come see Brian and I recording Keeping Carlson in person. Oh yeah, you can. You go to keepingcarlson.com slash live. But imagine if you could be here like literally in person. That'd be pretty weird if someone was just here sitting in my bedroom. Like if uh, I'll ask SeatGeek if maybe we could start selling tickets to that. But in the meantime, lots of other types of tickets available on SeatGeek. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare the prices and find you amazing deals. And if you want an even more amazing deal, you could even get a bigger discount by being a listener of Keeping Carlson. Brian, why don't you tell the listeners how? I will, but I'm also looking forward to the public tweet that I expect from you to SeatGeek asking if you can make an arrangement to sell tickets to your bedroom for a future Keeping Carlson taping. If you do decide to buy tickets to that, if they do become available, uh, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING today. That's promo code KEEPING for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase, which could very well be tickets to Elon's bedroom. Okay, well, don't say it like that. That sounds like a little <laughs> bit inappropriate, but you know, that's where I record. You know, I, I got a one-bedroom apartment. I'm doing the best I can here. Maybe one day we could afford a studio. In the meantime, let's go to our next injury, Martin Jones. Oh, you just brought up Arendelle. Look at that. Perfect synergy between us, Brian. That's why we've been hosting a show for so long. You know, we really know each other. Okay, so Martin Jones, day-to-day with an undisclosed injury. He might not be out long. Who knows? But it's a good opportunity to talk about the San Jose Sharks. We got a question on Twitter from Nick asking if she should drop Martin Jones for Arendelle. This is for her third goalie behind Hellebuck and Schneider. So, Brian, are we at this point yet? Like, Jones only has a 910 save percentage on the year in 31 games, and bring that down actually to only a 902 save percentage over the last month. So, he's been really bad lately. Meanwhile, Aaron Dell is up to a 928 save percentage in 19 games, you know, before today's game. San Jose is playing later tonight. He only has a 914 save percentage over the last month, but hey, that's still better than what Martin Jones has been doing, and Dell's won three games in a row now. Like, why wouldn't the Sharks give them at least equal time moving forward and should Nick make that swap as a third goalie? So even if, you know, you get it wrong, it's not the biggest, you know, disaster in the world. They, she still has two really good goalies. So I feel like it makes sense to drop Martin Jones and grab Aaron Dell, who's doing better, who's been doing better all year long, and has given the San Jose Sharks a lot of reason to consider at least evening the starts up, if not giving more to Aaron Dell. Martin Jones going officially on day-to-day is a bad break for him, but a real good break for Nick and any of Jones's owners who've been wondering if they should swap Jones out for Dell, because now... You don't have to swap them out if you've got an IR plus spot or if you're in a league where you can move a, a DDD guy into your reserves. You can have both of them. And by the way, Jones DDD now is an interesting development because there was recent talk that he was seen limping after games and that maybe he's been playing injured. He has vehemently denied that there's any injury affecting his play. So has his coach. Who knows the truth now that he's suddenly day to day? Anyway, for a third goalie, in Nick's case, that's what Jones is. You're usually looking for a chance at a win when they start with good save percentage numbers. And Dell is, well, better than Jones in that regard this season. Now you asked if there's a reason to not give Dell equal time for the Sharks. And the reason that I'll give you is I still think Jones is the goalie that the Sharks are committed to. Looks that way by contract. Anyway, Dell UFA at the end of the season, likely off to another team to play a bigger role after his contract expires. And Jones has a brand new contract that hasn't even started yet. Starting next season, he's earning just less than $6 million for the next six years. Oh, if only San Jose had waited to extend him. Uh, they probably could have gotten a better deal or had a, well more information to work off of anyway. So I guess that's the reason not to give Dell equal time moving forward. But I'm not sure it's a great 
reason. If Dell continues to outplay Jones, then he should. He deserves to have equal time for the regular season. And hey, if it helps the Sharks playoff chances and like going to the finals or wherever, as far as they're going to go with Thornton and Burns, they're not getting any younger. I don't think you can squander uh, any wins by starting Martin Jones if Aaron Dell is the goalie that you have greater confidence in, regardless of contract situation. Yeah, another contract situation is that Joe Thornton is on like a one-year contract right now for $10 million. So I'm pretty sure they're going to want to make the most of this season while they have him. Tony is saying in the chat room that we apparently talk about Dell and Jones every week. So I don't know, like the way I plan out what we're going to talk about on the show is just kind of like throughout the week. I'm like, what's going on in hockey? Like, what are people going to be interested in? I guess I got this run wrong for you, Tony. Okay, Brian, moratorium. No more talking about Jones and Dell until at least after the All-Star break. Okay, how about that? So let's go to Algeries. And so here, happier news. Bo Horvat is going to be returning today for the Canucks game versus Winnipeg. It will have already happened when you're listening, so you'll be able to have more information. All I know right now is you've got to imagine that Bo Horvat's going to be getting his spot back with Besser at even strength and with Brock Besser and the Sedins and Alex Edler on the top power play. This is great news, obviously, for Horvat in fantasy because he's going to be playing. It's great news for Brock Besser, who gets a much better centerman. It's great news for the Canucks overall in terms of having better chance to win. Like, I think this is just happy, happy news. And if you have Bo Horvat or Brock Besser or the Sedins or anyone, you're happy right now. Just a reminder, Horvat had 20 points in 28 games before getting hurt. That's a 59-point pace. Do you have any reason to expect that he won't be able to keep that up moving forward? I do have reason. First, it is good news for Besser and the Canucks that Horvat is back. But remember that Besser probably still has some regression to face up to, as does Bo Horvat, who before he was injured was shooting over 15% and a combined 11% shot success rate with his teammates at even strength. So that's why I would say that Bo Horvat is a safer bet to be someone in the mid-50s than in the high-50s. And I'm trying to still be generous here with him, too, because I have under estimated Bo Horvat before trying not to make the same mistake twice but I guess I am saying that mid 50s is still a bit of a liberal projection IMO I think that Bo Horvat is better than you think and I think finally he has Brock Besser someone really awesome to play with like he was getting all these points last year I don't even remember the line mates it was like Sven Berchi probably and someone else that's not very great like he's got a good player to play with he's on a good top power play I really like him I'm bullish on Bo Horvat. So we'll check in on him in a couple weeks and see who was more correct or not. And of course, we have to mention since we're on the Canucks, Alex Edler just continues to be on fire. We mentioned him back a couple episodes ago when he was like taking a ton of shots and hitting everyone in sight and blocking pretty much every shot. Like he was doing so amazingly for the peripherals. He wasn't getting a ton of points at that time. Now, not only is he continuing with the peripherals, he's also on a five-game point streak. If he's available in your league, and I'm talking about Alex Edler here, you're in a league where no one is paying attention, in my opinion, especially if we're talking about a bangers and match league that's counting your hits and your blocks and your shots. You've got to add Alex Edler. And now Horvat's back. It's even another reason to want Edler on your team. Must be owned. And the extent to which he must be owned is more than we could really say about any Canucks defenseman over the last, what, two, three years? Let's go to our next soon-to-be outjury. Let's talk about Jaden Schwartz, who's expected to be returning very soon, maybe even on Tuesday for St. Louis's next game. I haven't seen any line combinations yet, but I don't see why the St. Louis Blues wouldn't put Jaden Schwartz right back with Tarasenko and Shen on the top line and with those two, probably Steen and Petrangelo, on the top power play. That's what was working so well before his injury. It's just not been the same since Schwartz has been out, so I think that's what's going to happen if I had to bet, which would maybe mean now's a good time to sell high on Paul Stack. 
Stasny, he's been on a great run. He has three goals and six assists in his last eight games, but Stasny was not in a good situation when Schwartz got injured. He was on line two and he was on the second power play. I'm guessing now his time with Tarasenko, look, he's on this great run because he's been playing with Tarasenko and he's been on the top power play. I don't know if that's going to keep going. So I think it's not going to be great for Paul Stasny moving forward. If you have him, I think you should try to trade him before it's too late. What do you think? Hmm. I don't know about trading him right away. I know how you feel about it. I can see where you're coming from because Paul Stasny is forever a game away from being moved away from ideal deployment. And of course, the odds of that happening increases more top line talent dresses for the Blues, which is what will be happening when Jaden Schwartz returns to the lineup. I don't know. Like my hesitation is part because I don't know how high you're going to be able to sell on Paul Stasny. I don't think he has a ton of name value right now. He's had cold runs already this season, but certainly if you own him, you should be watching to see how he's being played, what he's doing with that time. And if he's still worth a roster spot on your team, here's a fun Stasny tidbit for this season that may or may not have any influence on your decision. Stasny has registered six or more shots on goal three times this year. He'd only ever done it three times as a St. Louis Blue going into this season. And that dates back from the 2014-15 season through to the end of 2016-17. So it's fun to see him shooting the puck some more all of a sudden. He's got his highest all-situation shots per 60 since 2011-2012. Highest shot attempts per 60 since 2014-15. We'll see if he can keep that up from wherever he plays the rest of the way. Uh, So Brian, I'm curious to know your answer. Who would you rather have, Paul Stasny or Bo Horvat moving forward? Bo Horvat. I think he's a little safer in his lineup spot. I think it's like an easy answer, Bo Horvat. Like Paul Stasny, once he's on line two and power play two, if he goes back there, then he's pretty much to me the same as like a Brian Little. So if Brian Little, like, you know, he's also on line two and power play two, you know, really good player, not always getting the best deployment. So I feel like if Little is a free agent in your league and you're holding Paul Stasny, it might not be long before they'll be similar. I'd be wrong. Who knows? Maybe Jaden Schwartz comes back and they go with a line of Schwartz and Tarasenko and Stasny. And it's like a better situation for Paul Stasny. Who knows? But something to watch. Keep Keep your mind on what's going on and keep your eyes on those St. Louis line combinations. And now we've got another goalie tandem to discuss. Things really changed between Friday and today, Brian. We've got to talk about Allen and Hutton. So, okay, going into yesterday's game, Carter Hutton had played in most of the Blues 2018 games, and he'd been on fire. Like, he was like, can't lose. Amazing save percentages every game. Jake Allen owners were most likely getting quite concerned that he'd never get the net back because Carter Hutton was just doing so well. We got a ton of questions asking, you know, very similar to what Nick was asking about, you know, time to drop Jones for Dell. Like, a lot of questions. Should I drop Allen for Hutton, or should I pick up Hutton, or should I drop Allen? Some combinations of all of these and then i'm sure for a lot of them we said at least no matter what you do if you can get carter hutton at least for yesterday's game against arizona like why not you're going to get a goalie that's super hot against a team that can't really score many goals and that would have been a disaster because that was a really bad game hutton led three goals on 12 shots and then he got pulled seven minutes into the game that was it jake allen came in he stopped 30 of 32 shots which is a pretty good game for him so now all of a sudden like i wonder is are all of hutton's january heroics like erased and now jake allen will resume being the starter come tuesday like i feel like this is what happened in Boston, right? It was like Anton Kudobin had so many great games in a row. Tuka Rask had been bad. And then like Kudobin had one bad game, I think. And then after that, it was like, okay, Tuka, it's your net again. And then like Kudobin like pretty much never got a chance to get the net back. I feel like this might just happen again. Or do you think that Carter Hutton will get more chances? Do you think he's going to get a little bit more rope because of all the great games he's been playing? What do you do with either of these goalies if they're either on your roster or in free agency at this point, Brian? Like all the combinations, what do you do if you see Hutton and Allen available? Or if you see Hutton and or Allen like on your roster, what would you be doing moving forward? Yes, it finally happened. Carter Hutton had a terrible start, and there's two lenses through which 
you can look at it. First, you can say, well, the Carter Hutton come down has been an inevitability ever since he shot up into what I think is a makeshift temporary number one spot. And the other lens is, well, I'm not sure how responsible Carter Hutton was for his three goals against last night. Seemed pretty hung out to dry by his defense on at least two of them. And his coach and teammates said as much after the game that he really shouldn't have been expected to stop them. I don't know how quickly the Blues go back to Jake Allen, but at least this is some, I don't know, you could take it as reassurance for his owners that the Blues will likely turn back to Allen eventually. Look, Allen is the starter in St. Louis, but Hutton has been playing better, as aptly put by the Athletics' Jeremy Rutherford. So I would still be patient with Allen if I owned him, and if I see Hutton getting another start, I'll add him to see what happens. Hutton remains a good short-term play, but not at a long-term expense. Yeah, but I don't even know if that's true. I feel like Jake Allen will probably get the net on Tuesday, and then who knows if he plays well when Carter Hutton even gets another start. So we'll have to wait and see. I feel like maybe you're more optimistic about Carter Hutton still having short-term value than I am. I feel like at this point, forget about him. It's going to be Jake Allen. But we'll see. If Jake Allen blows it on Tuesday, all bets are off. Okay, and Ryan is saying in the chat here, the Blues are an absolute mess, but they have Jaden Schwartz coming back. So, you know, well, let's see. Let's see what happens. Maybe things will finally start coming together. Okay, so speaking of goalies, news came out last week that Roberto Luongo is on track to return to the Panthers lineup in early February. So that's like in a couple of weeks. So keep an eye on Roberto Luongo. Like James Reimer was on a great run for a long time, but he's really cooled off lately. Four of his last six starts have been sub 900 save percentage performances. So, you know, he's slumping at the wrong time. Is it time for James Reimer owners to make other arrangements if they've been banking on him for the last couple of months? Like, what are you expecting to happen when Luongo returns? Do you think Luongo takes the starter's job back? Do you think Luongo will be good? Like if Luongo's in free agency, should people be rushing to add him? Because the Panthers... You know, say what you will about them. They know how to score some goals. If Genny Dadanov's on fire, he's doing well. Like, side note, we told you last week to add Genny Dadanov. And if you didn't, and he's still in free agency, if we got added by someone else, like, you only have yourself to blame. He was great last week. He's going to continue to be great. But anyways, we're talking about Roberto Luongo and James Reimer. What do you think is going to happen with these guys once Luongo's back? If you've been using James Reimer as your number one or number two goalie, it's time to imagine life after Reimer. Start thinking about what move you're going to make. I've got Reimer in a weekly league, and I added Anton Forsberg as the only quasi-legit goalie available in free agency to shield me from what I think is going to be a loss of starts once Luongo returns. And you should be doing the same. Figure out where you're going to get those starts going forward because you can't count on them coming from James Reimer. It's true that we don't know how time is going to be shared between them, but to best prep yourself, you should assume that Reimer goes back to the number two role as uh, as he was. That's where he was before Luongo got injured. And yeah, he had a great run while Luongo's been out, but now he's back to playing average again, which is uh, the story of James Reimer. So if you have him, time to think of your plan, I don't know, B or back to plan A, something, do something. Right. Do something. Unfortunately, if you had more time, you could like, wait for Reimer to go on another hot run and then sell high. Right now, you're not going to get anything for him. If we get a question, like if you're thinking of tweeting at us, at Keeping Carlson being like, should I drop James Reimer for Berto Luongo? Like, I think, yeah, I think that once Luongo's back, he's going to get the shot at the games, like you said, Brian, just like he was getting before. Okay, next outry, Jake Muzzin. He missed some time. He's now back for the Kings. He has two assists in each of his two games since returning. Sorry, that's one assist in each of his two games, two assists overall in his last two games. He also had 
an assist in each of his two games before getting injured. So that's now four points in his last four games. Muslin's quietly up to 25 points in 43 games this year, which is a 47-point pace. That's really good. I feel like people don't realize that Jake Muzzin is on such a strong point pace. And this is like mostly from the second power play for most of the season. He hasn't been on the top unit with Dowdy, like Martinez or just Dowdy by himself have been the defenseman there. So I feel like if Jake Muzzin is in free agency, it's probably time to pounce. Maybe I'm being stupid. Like he's not available in any of my leagues, but I feel like I've seen questions before of people wondering if they should be adding Jake Muzzin. Seems like he's great. He's back from injury and he keeps on picking up assists and for peripherals, he's also good there. So yeah, he's actually one of the only bright spots on LA. Brian, how about I'll just keep going and you can answer about Muzzin at the end here. Because I want to also mention that LA overall, they're not scoring many goals. Like poor Jonathan Quick, he's been getting no run support with the Kings scoring only five goals in their last four games. They're playing today. We'll see how they do. Like, sorry to everyone, by the way, who picked up Tanner Pearson on our recommendation last week. The Kings were playing four games this week. I thought he'd be a good ad since he'd been playing on the top line and the top power play with Kopitar. But no, that changed. He ended up not being on the top line, not being on the top power play. And he did absolutely nothing. If you added him, sorry, total snoozer. Gotta drop him, I assume. And like, even you've got guys like Tyler Toffoli. He's pointless in his last four. Dustin Brown is pointless in his last five. And Dustin Brown's been playing with Kopitar, who's like been a point per game guy through this whole cold stretch. But Dustin Brown doing nothing. So are both of these guys, like Toffoli, Dustin Brown, like are they in snoozer territory? Or do we wait, especially for Toffoli, for like Jeff Carter to come back? And then like, then Toffoli will be good. I know I've just thrown a lot at you, Brian. But what are your thoughts? on Jake Muzzin and Tanner Pearson and Tyler Toffoli and Dustin Brown. Okay, going back to Jake Muzzin. Yeah, should be owned in all leagues. Note that he is barely blocking these days, though. If your league counts those and you're hoping for a couple of games from him, as he was doing at some point this year, over his last five or six games, he's barely done anything. Maybe that's related to him returning from injury, wanting to stay safer. Don't know. But he's a he's a pretty reasonable shot to get points for you on at least a 40-point pace. So you should own him. As for the other forwards, what a great birthday present it would be for Jonathan Quick tonight if they could put some goals on the board for him. We're waiting for the Kings to show some scoring acumen again. And when that happens, we'll see if Tanner Pierce and Tyler Toffoli, Dustin Brown can get on the score sheet. Of course, I expect Toffoli and Brown to be a part of it more so than Pearson. But just to go a little deeper on Brown, Dustin Brown is specifically letting owners down because he's going quiet in points, but also in the shots column. Dustin Brown averaged nearly three shots per game over the first two months of the season, but in the last six weeks, he has just 35 shots in 19 games, less than two shots a game, which is very un-Dustin Brown-like. As a Brown owner myself, makes me feel a lot less patient with him if this drought drags on too much longer. Yeah, hey, who knows? Maybe tonight will be the night, like you said, that LA is going to score a ton of goals on the New York Rangers. That would be great for me. I actually have Jonathan Quick in my Cupful team, and I could really use a win today. So that would be awesome. Brian, I actually made a goalie calculator app to calculate like how much he would have to suck in order for my save percentage to go down in a way that would cost me save percentage just for going for the win. I released that for the patrons as a tool. I'm thinking of maybe releasing some more tools. So just another reason to potentially become a patron, keeping Carlson, uh, keeping Carlson.com slash patron. Just throwing it out there. Okay, next outro, Josh Bailey returned to the New York Islanders. He's played two games. He has three assists in those two games. Josh Bailey, he's having an amazing season. Let's not even talk about him. But with Andrew Ladd still out, Anthony Bovillier has remained on line two with Barzil and Eberly. He had two goals yesterday. I remember last week when I was asking about Bovillier, he had just had, I guess, like one good game and just gotten onto that line two. You sort of didn't seem too excited about him. You were like, eh, maybe. Are you warmer on Bovillier now that you uh, have seen him play a few more games for the Islanders on that second line with Barzil and Eberly? Like, would you be adding Bovillier out of free agency in the cupful if he was available to you? 
In deeper leagues, Anthony Beauvilliers is probably one of the better streaming options out there right now. 13 shots in four games since we recorded last week. That's a reason to feel warmer about him for sure. Thing is, though, he's still scored six times on his last 17 shots. So don't expect the goals to keep coming at the pace they have. But the fact that he is averaging over three shots per game, just barely, but still over three shots per game over his last four means that there's still a chance he's going to put one in from time to time. So that's a good thing for Anthony Beauvillier, probably near the top of the heap in your streaming options. Yeah, and obviously we'll have to wait and see what happens with Andrew Ladd. But I mean, that would be so dumb of them, right? To put like Andrew Ladd back online too. Like, what was he doing all year? Anthony Bovilli, it's exciting and he's young and he's good. I'd say leave him there. If I was the coach of the Islanders, that's what I'd be doing. Brian, anything to Ryan Pulak's one goal and four assist game yesterday versus Chicago? He was pointless in four games before. But, you know, after this one good game, you always see on like Yahoo where they're always promoting at you who's been added lately. Like, you know, uh, like Pulak's ownership going through the roof because he had a five-point game but are you as a fantasy hockey robot someone who just looks beyond the excitement of a single game and looks long term has your opinion of whether or not to own ryan pulak changed after this one really good game or do you think of him as the same as you did before and i will point out that johnny boychuk should be back soon so that could hurt potentially pulak's chances at staying on that second power play and like getting as much ice time We've been waiting for Ryan Pulak to break through this year. He's been streamed a lot in a lot of leagues that I've been in without actually offering much on a game-to-game basis. Just someone who you think can break through on any given night, but has not really come through on a regular basis. I think it's great that Pulak had a big night. I don't know that that makes him any closer to being a consistent contributor, but that's also not to say he's terribly far. That's why he's been a streaming consideration all year long, because the potential has absolutely been there with Johnny Boychuk out of the lineup. Uh, As for if I'm any more excited about him after this big night, uh, I don't know. Now now I'm self-conscious about being the wet blanket. I'm going to say there's no real change in value for me. Like, for sure, I have a little more interest and enough to put me over the edge and adding him if I was really close already. But I'm still not really adjusting my expectations rest of the season, which have been that he's got an okay shot at contributing on whatever night and carries this kind of upside for a big night along with that. But especially once Johnny Boychuk comes back, he might have a hard time making his mark. Yeah, right. I think that you should own being the wet blanket. I think you should be proud of it. I think it's good. Like, you know, there's probably a lot of podcasts out there that are getting super excited. Like, oh my God, Ryan Pulak, Adam, 100%. Then next week when he does nothing all week, then they're not even going to mention it. It'll be like it never happened. And, and you know, it'll be like, oh, hopefully no one listen to us saying about Ryan Pulak. But, you know, it's good. You're a conservative and you're giving us the real truth and not, you know, just getting overly excited about one good game. That's how you should be. I, it's good that you're the wet blanket because I'm here throwing all these names at you when I see a good game. We need the uh, counterpart. I don't know why I'm like trying to sell you. I'm being the, I want you to be the wet blanket. I want you to be proud of it. Okay. I'm good. I'm happy. All right. So we're done with injuries. We're done with outjuries. Uh, let's get to some hot streaks and cold streaks and line combos to end the show. Though, I mean, you guys all know, like really, we've been talking about all that stuff all episode long. I like to break it up into little segments, keep some semblance of a flow going. Okay. Let's start with a couple goalies to start our hot streaks, cold streaks segment. We talked about Arizona's big five to win over St. Louis earlier from the lens of the St. Louis Blues and how Carter Hutton blew it. But let's take a quick look at the Coyotes side and give some props to Anti Ranta, who's been really good lately. I would even maybe say great. He has a 919 save percentage over the past month, 917 save percentage on the year. And if you recall, like he wasn't so great in the first couple of games that people were really worried about him. Anyway, he's got at least a league average save percentage. I'll bet you 917 is even a slightly above league average, Brian, you can let me know. But like, these are better numbers, by the way, than Mike Smith was able to put up on the Coyotes over the last few years. And we've seen how good Mike Smith is when he's on a good team. So I think like, first of all, we should give some, you know, claps for Anti Ranta, who's doing pretty well, holding up as a goalie on not a great team. Unfortunately, 
unfortunately, the wins aren't really coming. It was really nice to see this big five-goal outburst against St. Louis, but they're not going to be able to play against a goalie like Carter Hutton all the time. I know that's just some shade of Carter Hutton. I don't know what happened there, but like I don't see them scoring five goals all the time. So, Brian, like, what do you think about Ranta at this point? Like, He's showing himself to be, I think, a solid option in terms of save percentage. I don't think anyone should be worried if they add anti-Ranta that he's going to blow up their numbers or anything like that. But do you see any reason to expect like a few more wins in the second half of the year? Or do you think it's pretty much going to be more of the same? Like He's going to give you solid numbers, probably a lot of saves if you count that, but probably like, you know, just one win every five games or whatever it's been so far. Your hunch about 917 being above league average, Elon, is absolutely right. For the second consecutive year, we're sitting at a 913 save percentage in the NHL this year. And Antiranta, yeah, he sits comfortably above it. Uh, here's a little, here's what I've found about Antiranta, and we'll try and interpret it together. Out of 30 goalies who have played more than 1,000 even strength minutes, Antiranta ranks 26th in something called Delta save percentage, which is the difference between the save percentage he has and the one he's expected to have based on Corsica.hockey's expected goals model. So that means he is performing below his expected save percentage to an extent that ranks him 26 out of 30 goalies. The good news, though, for Antiranta is that, believe it or not, he has a higher mark of expected save percentage to meet than essentially the rest of the league, Arizona has helped offer Antiranta the second highest expected even strength save percentage in the entire NHL. And Antiranta has also made up for his even strength delta save percentage on the penalty kill by outplaying expectations there. I think league average or not league average, above league average, the way he's been playing so far is still a reasonably safe expectation for him going forward. Maybe he sees some regression on the penalty kill, but his even strength numbers should be able to hold up well enough to cushion that in the bigger safe percentage picture. As for extra wins from Arizona as their starting goalie, maybe a couple for Antiranta. Arizona seems to have worked themselves up to near league average expected goal differential after having been in some way worse valleys earlier in the season. They've actually recently posted their first five-game stretch where they registered an above 50% shot attempt share. So there's hope in Arizona. Not sure yet if they can stay up there for most of the rest of the way, but if they can, that should help Ranta collect a couple more wins tending net for the Coyotes. Well, that's exciting. Brian, I'll admit, there was a little bit of mumbo-jumbo there. I'm not sure everyone was following all the deltas and the expected this and that, but sounds like you're saying that rant is pretty good, which is good. I'm sure, you know, the super uh, intense fantasy advanced stats listeners were were eating that up, and that, that was great. Thanks very much. Okay, so next goalie who I guess there's reason to be excited about, or at least has been good lately, is Mikhail Neuverth on Philly. He's had a really nice week. He relieved Elliott after he led in five goals to the Rangers on Tuesday, stopped all the final eight shots of that game. Then he picked up a 3-2 win over Toronto on Thursday, 3-1 win over New Jersey yesterday. I was like planning to ask you, Brian, actually, if Brian Elliott owners should be worried, but now like maybe that's a bit of an extreme thing to be worried about considering now Brian Elliott had a good game today, 2-1 win over Washington. But like, you know, there was a stretch in, I think it was like November or December, like Brian Elliott was playing every single game. Like Neuberth never got it. I think it was injured for a little bit, but even when he came back, it was just like Elliott, 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 Elliott. So at this point, do you think that's going to be the situation moving forward? Or now that we're seeing that Neuberth can put up a good run, maybe Philly is going to start resting Elliott more. And if owners have been depending on Brian Elliott, to just give them every single game that's something they probably can't be expecting moving forward and then i guess to go even a step further are you at all worried that maybe even mccall neuvers can start challenging elliot for starts maybe even getting into a timeshare potentially even taking over the top job like we're talking about brian elliot here he's never really been so so amazing and neuvers has challenged the likes of steve mason in the past is steve mason and brian elliot that difference i don't know what's your take right now on this philly goaltending situation that is currently developing 
I'm going to cut this conversation short. I don't want to get into another goalie situation that we're going to talk about for weeks on end. For now, it's still Brian Elliott's net. That's what I think from watching. That's what I read from other more closely watching Flyers coverers, reporters, fans, bloggers, any people I trust who watch the Flyers. Nobody yet is is getting on the maybe Neuvirth is challenging page. Okay, Brian, I hope you're not going to be mad. I still have a couple more goalie questions to ask you before we're done the show, but we'll work through them quickly. But before, since we're on Philly, got to talk about Travis Konechny. He's continued his great run on the top line this week. I think we mentioned last week that he was a good guy to target for Philly's four games this week. This was the last, by the way, of these annoying bye weeks where some teams played one time and some teams played four. Travis Konechny was a great ad for me in the Cacuffle. I was planning on dropping him at the end of the week. Now I don't know. He has two goals and two assists in his last three games. He scored the OT winner today. Like I said, he's been on the top line with Giroux and Couturier. At this point, I feel like he's got to be worth adding if he's still in free agency while he's on this top line. Like, who knows how long it's going to last? But while he's there, he's doing really well. And I don't see a reason to expect that to stop. And by the way, he's also finally started to get some second power play unit time. For a while, he wasn't getting any power play time. But at least today, he played a decent amount of time on the second unit. Travis Konechny, definitely worth adding. You're right, Elon. It would be lovely if Konechny had some better power play time. But yeah, you said he's finally starting to make a mark on power play too. Uh, But the key part is that he gets to play on the top line in Philadelphia with Jeroen Couturier. He's a great guy to own. If you're the type that went for Michael Furland because he plays with Gaudreau and Monaghan, I actually like Konechny in his spot better. Oh, I'd still take Furland, but uh, yeah, that's very high praise. And yeah, it looks like people listening should be checking to see if they have room on their roster for Travis Konechny. Obviously, be quick to drop him if the lines change or if he goes on a long, cold stretch. But for now, he's looking good. Okay, Brian, I never expected to say this next sentence to you. But as opposed to Ranta and Neuwirth, who are doing really well, Andre Vasilevsky has continued to struggle. Another two sub-900 save percentage games this week on Thursday and Saturday. That's now five games in a row where Andre Vasilevsky has absolutely stunk and had lower than a 900 save percentage last week when i brought him up that he had like three bad games in a row he said elon come on it's only three games what are you talking about okay so now i'm coming back to you it's now been five games tampa has also had a lot of trouble scoring lately by the way they put nemesnikov back on line one yesterday and everyone lost their i was about to say the s word but i know you would get so mad at me everyone got very excited about nemesnikov back on line one but you know nothing happened they lost he didn't get any points who knows if that will last are you still of the mind that you think everything's gonna be fine for Vasilevsky and like trying to sell high on him would be silly? Like last week, I was just saying that I think if people are still thinking of him as the undisputed top goalie in fantasy, you might be able to get a nice return for him. And because we've never actually seen him play a full season and be great. Like now it might be harder to sell for as high as you could have last week. But what are your current thoughts on him? Like I'd be concerned if I was a Vasilevsky owner, just because like I said, he still hasn't played a full season and he's really struggling right now. 23 goals against for Vasilevsky over his last five starts. So he does play a part in what's been happening to him lately, but it's really not just him. The Lightning as a team are just nosediving in even strength shot attempt share and missing Victor Hedman in their lineup has to be a big, big part of that. You can sell Vasilevsky if you want. I still don't think it's that smart unless you can get like a great upgraded another position. Plus one of the guys we talked about last week, back for him like quick gibson whoever goalies who may look like a downgrade at first bluff but aren't a big downgrade and could theoretically outplay vasilevsky any given week while getting consistent starts if you're selling him now you're selling him low he's not going to be down like this forever he's going to at least have another bump up so if you're ready to sell if you want to detach yourself from him let him have a couple good games first 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I always like giving that advice. Don't sell when the person's on a horrible old streak unless you're obviously getting a nice return for him anyways. And by the way, so about this Nemesnikov business, are you like jumping back on him and are we going to start recommending him after he got promoted? Or at this point, like to me, I kind of feel like we better just wait and see how things settle for a bit. Like if he got promoted and did well playing on the top line, then I'd be like, sure, yeah, go back and grab him. Hopefully he'll be able to do what he did before. But I can see them continue to shuffle until they figure out how to start scoring goals again and also keep in mind even though Nemestikov went back on the top line he didn't get back on the top power play he's now pointless in four I'm still not very excited about him and by the way just as I was preparing the show I saw that Andre Palat was speared at the end of yesterday's game by Jared Spurgeon and is going back to Tampa to be evaluated so that's another wrench here we're gonna have to wait and see how like the, how bad this injury to Palat is and then how the lines shake out for their next game next week so everyone's got to just like keep their eyes on you know like in our Facebook group we'll obviously be chatting about it or maybe we'll try to tweet out the Tampa line as they come out with Palat out. Palat was on the top power play, so that might open up a spot for Nemesnikov to get back there. We'll have to wait and see what happens. For Nemesnikov, if he's on the top line, you do want him. If you're not sure whether to add him yet or not and you want to wait till the Lightning starts going, sure. I don't know that anyone's going to be jumping for him before then, but it's possible. So you decide when's the right time to add him back. But again, if he's on the top line, you want him. Just for context, Nikita Kucherov just has two points in his last four games. I don't know if that means anything for what we should be expecting from Nemesnikov, but like it's all relative, right? If he's done nothing in his last four games, even Kucherov is just a half point per game player over his last four games. It really does seem like Tampa Bay is going through an adjustment phase again without Victor Hedman. That may hurt some of their scoring and winning prospects in the short term, but longer term, I think they're going to figure it out and everyone will get back on track, including Nemesnikov, if he can stick on the top line. Which, yeah, I don't think he can. But anyway, yeah, but I do agree with you that Tampa overall will figure things out. I know we don't generally give like like t- like straight up gambling advice, but I would think now might be a good time to be betting on the Lightning to win the Stanley Cup. Like I feel like at one point they were the odds on favorite and you wouldn't get good odds. But right now I'd be curious to check how like how much those odds have risen or fallen depending on how you want to look at it. And maybe you can get a nice return. I still think they're one of the favorites and I do agree that they're going to figure things out and bounce back. So something to look at, something to consider. It's obviously really hard to win betting on who's going to win the Stanley Cup. I try every year and I've never gotten it right. Any gambling advice is for entertainment purposes only and void where prohibited. No, it's not. (laughs) It's for advice of trying to help you make money. But we're definitely not responsible if you lose all your money. Don't, you know, don't mortgage your house betting on the Tampa Bay Lightning. That'd be a bit insane. Okay, one more struggling goalie, Brian, I promise. And then we'll be done with that. But I feel like I got to bring him up. I wanted to bring up last week and you messaged me privately and you were like, "Uh, can we just not talk about him this week? Like we already have a lot. Let's maybe next week. And I was like, all right, fine. I know you don't want to talk about him. And we, you know, we talked about this guy like so much at the start of the year. So let's just do it one more time. Brian, I'm very sorry, but I'm going to bring up Carey Price. And I'm sorry also to the Habs fans who probably don't even want to hear it. But at Price, he's been terrible lately. Four straight games now being below a 906 save percentage, all losses. He's only at a 908 save percentage on this season. And this includes his hot run. Like when he came back from injury, you looked like a genius. Like he was doing so well. It was like, oh, Brian was right. He just needed a vacation. And then Carey Price was going to come back and be the Carey Price that we all love and know. But like at the end of the day, he's like cold again. He's got, like I said, 908 save percentage on the year. We had so many debates at the beginning of the season about how good he really is in terms of fantasy value. Right? Like I don't know if it's his fault. I don't really care. I just want to know as a person playing fantasy hockey how viable is he like we always thought of him as one of the top goalies to own in fantasy what's your stance now do you still consider him like a prime buy low target and you'd be able to fleece someone now get him for like pennies on the dollar or are you concerned that the second half of the season will be much like the first half of the season has been for Carey price there is no no way to sugarcoat the season Carey price has been having it has been downright awful for him still 
I feel like I might have started my sentence the same way 20 games ago, still hoping. You might have noticed a bit more tinge of optimism in my voice back then that is now absent. You and I, Elon, we chatted over GTalk at length about Carey Price on Monday, and I think that's why he ended up in this week's show. There were two weird numbers that I'd found and I was presenting to you that didn't quite seem to mesh. One of them was that Montreal's expected goals against this season is the second highest it's ever been over the course of Carey Price's career. The other number was that Carey Price's expected save percentage is the highest it's been in the last 10 years. So our takeaway after some back and forth was that there are a whole lot of dangerous chances being allowed by Montreal relative to Price's other years with the team, but he's also seen plenty of low and medium danger shots that he could use to bolster his save percentage despite seeing so many tough chances against him. But clearly he's also failing to do that, to make good on those low and medium danger chances against him. The low, he's actually handling okay, but it's really showing in his even strength, medium danger save percentage. He's presently posting a career low number, an 890 for Carey Price in that category, when he's never been below or far from 910 before. That's one reason why Carey Price is playing worse than other goalies would be expected to, given his workload. Uh, we mentioned anti Ranta earlier in the show. Carey Price is a smidge above Ranta towards the bottom of the pile in both goals saved above average per 60 minutes and delta save percentage. So what's going on? Why is Carey Price looking so human this time around? The last time the Habs team in front of Price was this bad, it was a few years back in 2013-14 when he turned in a 927 save percentage, but I don't know, he's four years older now. couple big injuries having appeared in his career log since then, and maybe that's why he just can't be as up to the task as he had been before. That's my best theory at this point. And no, I don't know what his first half means for his second half, in all honesty. I suppose one school of thought is it can't get much worse, but who wants to take on that much risk without having a whole lot of faith that Montreal is any better than they've appeared to be thus far. Buying low on Carey Price involves a leap of faith that I can't blame you if you're not willing to take. It's not a leap I'm willing to take right now. In a keeper league, I'd obviously feel a little bit more inclined to do it, but you're also wondering when Montreal is going to be a better team. I just, I just don't know. Yeah, Brian. Also, like, don't get mad at me for saying this. Like, all these like good stats that people have come up with, like this, like high danger scoring chances. This is great stuff, and we're coming up with you know a shot from this location is more likely to go in than a shot from that location. I know you're using a lot of your analysis. You're basing it on that. At the end of the day, it, we're still not perfect yet. Like, maybe th- there's still actually the like strength of the shot the accuracy of the shot still plays a large part in the chances of a shot like being harder or easier to save and i just have this feeling i know this is like totally like not backed up by numbers so you could like flame me on twitter or something listeners but like i think the Habs have crappy defense and even if the numbers are saying that they're letting in this many high danger shooting percentages and price should be stopping this many i just have this feeling that like they're making his life hard for him and that's gonna hurt him and so i don't know like i'm not excited about him like you say also he's older also he's been having injuries and just like the halves like Weber's been out I don't know how much that has been hurting him so yeah not a great situation I agree with you I wouldn't be trading for him I mean I'm lucky in the couple I have quick and I have Bernier and Varlamov who will be getting too soon so like my life is fine why would I consider trading Jonathan Quick for Carey Price like what's the upside for me like Quick has been fine like you know LA has been scoring goals lately and actually Montreal has been scoring some goals lately but like I see no reason to make a trade like that I would need to get a nice package in order to take on Carey Price and give up a goalie that I feel like I could rely on to give me good numbers and have a good chance of winning. But yeah, like I said, the Habs actually have been scoring, or at least Max Pacioretty, right? He's like the one plus right now for Habs fans. Like, he's really heated up. Nine points in his last eight games, seven of them goals. 
still like he's still a ways away from catching up to his 35 goals that he had last year he only has 15 and 47 so far so you know it'll be nice if he could at least get to 30 goals this year but everyone who bought low on patch like a month ago or so is definitely enjoying life right now feeling very smart that they saw his shots on goal and thought there's no way he's gonna have such a low shooting percentage for the rest of the season that's what we were saying on the show and yeah that's what's happened great for him worth noting also on the halves guys like shaw and Deneau are injured so brendan gallagher has finally found himself on the top power play lately that's not something that happens too often and it's a nice looking top power play at least in terms of the names you got patcheretti galchenyuk druin petrie now until weber comes back and then brendan gallagher unfortunately like gallagher hasn't done much yet on the top power play but something to watch moving forward he's still giving you those high shot numbers much like patcheretti so i would expect gallagher to maybe be a nice buy low candidate right now while he's on the top power play and taking all these shots like a patcheretti light very light all right, let's go to another Canadian team. Good news and bad news for Mitch Marner owners. Brian, what, what do you want me to give first? Bad news. All right, so the bad news is that Marner has been demoted to line four again. He played with Matt Martin and Frederick Gauthier yesterday. This is not great, but okay, I'll give you some good news. He's still getting solid power play time. He scored a power play goal yesterday versus Ottawa. So that's, but it's probably more bad news than good news. Like Marner only has three points in his last 10 games, even with that goal. I feel like he's probably approaching snoozer territory in most leagues. Like Brian, if he was dropped in the couple in your tier one Sweden division of the couple, the best of the best, like if he was dropped, would you be uh, putting a bid on him and trying to add him tomorrow? If I'm playing the longer game, sure. He usually snaps out of these with a nice little run, but you have to be prepared to wait. So if you are adding him, consider it speculative. Okay, and I didn't mention this in the injury section, but Morgan Riley is injured. I don't think we know yet how long he'll be out. Jake Gardner has actually stepped up. He had three assists yesterday, one assist in the game before versus Philly. Overall, Gardner's been like a half point per game guy on the year, which is okay, like kind of like barely rosterable in most leagues, especially in like deeper leagues. It's hard to justify owning a defenseman that's giving you like half point per game. You usually want a little bit more, like maybe a 45 point pace, something you want. 40 could be good though. Anyway, at least while Riley's out, Jake Gardner, is he worth the ad? Or do you think that he's not going to get any better or worse? Like at the end of the day, he still was, is like still getting, you know, half the power play time just like before. Now it's Connor Carrick getting the power play time that Morgan Riley was getting before. And so he actually scored an even strength goal recently. I don't even know who Connor Carrick is. So maybe you could tell us who that guy is. And then also let us know if you're any higher on Jake Gardner while Riley's out. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely high on Jake Gardner while Morgan Riley's out. He's a must add. You gotta, you gotta get him on your team if he's available in free agency. So do that. Connor Carrick, I guess, is worth watching. He's 23 years old, drafted fifth round in the 2012 entry draft by the Capitals. And he has not had much of an NHL career, really. He produced in the AHL in his first couple of years as a pro, but since then, not really there as a scorer. Uh, 18 points in 111 games as a Toronto Maple Leaf, barely registering a shot per game over that time. Of course, he's also never really played more than 17 minutes before on a regular basis. So we'll see if he continues to get those minutes, if he can at least put up some peripherals. But I'm not more interested in him than, say, someone like Ryan Pulak or Brady Shea or Anthony D'Angelo. 
Okay, fair enough. And let's stick with D. Let's go to New Jersey. Sammy Vadman had a great week this week. He had an assist versus the Islanders on Tuesday, and then three assists versus Washington in their next game. He actually had nothing yesterday versus Philly. But overall, at this point, he's up to one goal and eight assists in his last 10 games. So he's been on a really good run. Again, I'm talking about Sammy Vatnin, who got traded, obviously, from Anaheim earlier in the season. So the Devils play three times in four days before the All-Star break next week. So a lot of teams only play Tuesday, Thursday. So if you could find a team playing three times, that could be pretty handy. And Sammy Vatnin and the Devils might fit the bill. I think that Vatnin is worth an ad, at least in the short term, if he's available in your league. Though I will say the Devils lines have been like so frustratingly weird lately. And this includes their power plays. They went, it seems like their two power plays are pretty even. So it's hard to say if like Sammy Vatnin's on the top power play. Like they were going Boyle, Brat, Hall, Zajac, and Butcher. And then Hischer, Johansson, Palmieri, Stafford, and Vatnin. So like, I want to say the Taylor Hall unit is the top unit, but it has like Brian Boyle, on it and it doesn't have Palmieri or Hisher or Johansson. So I don't know. I don't know which one's the top unit. It feels like they like in terms of time on ice, they pretty much got even time. So that's kind of weird. Also, like why is Kyle Palmieri playing away from Taylor Hall at even strength and on the power play? Like he was on line three yesterday. Kyle Palmieri was on line three with Wood and Zaka. Like why? Like so obviously I'm more annoyed than maybe I should be, but like I am a Palmieri owner in the couple. I like lived through all these injuries like he was doing so well this year like playing with hall and hisher on line one it was going great he got injured i was like well that's annoying but he came back got injured again came back i feel like he even got injured a third time i don't know but when he finally came back from his last injury he like they decided you know enough with him maybe they feel like he's too injury prone playing with taylor hall i don't know what it is right now they're not even letting him into the top six so that's a real bummer for him like any sense of what's going on with this Kyle Palmieri situation in New Jersey? Like, should people, like myself, but also for the other listeners, should people be hanging on to Palmieri and assuming that he's going to get back into the top six and on the power play, like, with Taylor Hall? Or is it time to maybe let go if he's going to be getting this crappy deployment? I have no idea what is happening with Kyle Palmieri. I have not seen any good explanation for it. Elon, your challenge for this week, or maybe our listeners, anyone's, uh, write some of the Devil's Beat Writers Try and get a feel for why this is happening because I really don't know. And I've looked. Uh, Andrew Gross is a good one on Twitter at a gross record, and Tom Gulitty at Tom Gulitty NHL. Try them. So you're telling our listeners to spam those two guys, Gross and Gulitty. Tell them Keeping Carlson sent you and find out. And then if you could tweet at us, giving us an explanation, you're going to get a retweet from at Keeping Carlson. How about that to add to your resume? <laughs> okay. And by the way, since we're on New Jersey, Corey Schneider, I know I said no more goalies, but come on, you got to talk about some goalies. Like Schneider's been ill. He's missed the last three games, but he should be back tomorrow. So, you know, obviously you're not like, Kincaid was terrible in the last game. Then some backup, I don't even remember what his name is, came in and played pretty well. doesn't matter. Schneider's going to be back. That other guy, he's going back to the minors. But Schneider's been bad lately. He's on a run of five straight terrible games now. If he continues to be this bad after the break, maybe I'll bring him up again. And then we could actually get serious about talking about if we're starting to see Schneider from last year, where he really crumbled around this time of the season. You know, just like Harry Price, he's older. And he's someone that I was never too confident in this year, even during his hot runs. And right now he's on a cold stretch. But I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's see how he does and then get more into him on the next show, unless you want to say anything about him now. Yeah, I'm not really ready to pull the plug on Corey Snyder and just as a whole like one of the knocks on owning Snyder has been well you know they've been overachieving maybe the wins aren't going to keep coming but New Jersey is still looking pretty good in all honesty and they've been slowly improving their shot attempt shares since November to the point that the Devils are now well into the plus side in shot attempt share over their last several games and that will bode well for Snyder should he be able to pick his own game back up And the goalie who stepped in to save the day in New Jersey the other day, Elon, quick shout out to rookie emergency call-up 
Ken Appleby, who stopped all 24 shots in relief of Keith Kincaid in his NHL debut. And Elon, I'm not sure he's going back to the minors because Kincaid has been put in IR. So if Snyder stays sick, there's a spot start from Ken Appleby waiting for you. All right, everyone. Uh, do go ahead. Let let us know. Tweet us at Kevin Carls and let us know if you're riding with Appleby. I'll be curious to know how he does, and hopefully he doesn't do really well. Because then there's gonna be so many annoying puns and pictures on Twitter with apples, and I I, I could already see this happening. But okay. But anyways, I don't know. Good luck to him. I hope he does well. I mean, in terms of like, I'm sure he's a nice person. I don't know how you like always want to say. How Brian, are you sure he's a nice person? I don't. know. I feel like you always say that whenever I say like you know oh like he sucks, but I'm sure he's a great guy in real life. No, I don't. I don't know that I say that. Okay, well, we'll go back into the archives. Okay, I think we probably need to start ending this show. I got one more team I want to go to. That's Colorado. I mentioned before that, well, first I mentioned before that I wasn't going to talk about goalies anymore, which I, was clearly a lie. Also, I mentioned before that we need to talk about Jonathan Bernier. We need to lavish some praise on this guy who had another amazing week. Like, first of all, the Avs have now won nine games in a row, which is amazing considering how bad they were last year. And eight of those nine games have been with Jonathan Bernier in net. And Bernier has a 958 save percentage over those last eight games. Like, honestly, at this point, is there any other goalie you'd want in your net for next week? Like, I'm actually a Varlamov owner in the couple. He got injured. I stashed him in IR. I was able to add Bernier. So it's like all great for me. I should be happy. Like, I'm getting great results from him. He's helping me win my goalie categories. At the same time, I'm like a little concerned about what am I going to do when Varley's back? Like, what are the Avalanche going to do? Because apparently Varlamov is going to be ready to play soon. Do you think they'll continue to ride Bernier and like Varlamov will be wasting a spot on my roster? Or like, do you think he'll pull a, you know, Carter Hutton at some point and then that'll be Varlamov's chance to come on in and take the job back? Do we think it's going to be a timeshare? Like, that would be kind of annoying for me if it was a timeshare because then I'd have to use up two goalie spots to have the abs tandem, though it might be worth it considering how the Avalanche can't lose games and, like, Rantanen and McKinnon and company just keep scoring so many goals. So I'm just get, curious to get your take at this point. Like, how awesome is Jonathan Bernier and what do you think is going to happen with Varlamov coming back from injury soon? Did you just ask me how awesome is Jonathan Bernier? I did. Tell me how awesome. What do you expect? We've we've been talking about Jonathan Bernier for years. He's not that awesome. Yes, he's been very awesome lately. Very exciting. And okay, how about this? He has been awesome enough to plant a seed of doubt in the minds of any Varlamov owners that maybe they don't have their number one anymore. Like, I think that's crazy. I'm usually of the belief that the guy coming back from injury gets a shot to take his job back at some point. I don't think his job will be outright stolen. However, Varlamov has been only a 9-12 goalie this year, was an 8-98 goalie last year, so he doesn't really have much on his resume to suggest that he should step in for Jonathan Bernier until Jonathan Bernier does poorly, which, I mean, I've said over the last couple of weeks, it's as inevitable as it is for Carter Hutton, but he's doing a fantastic job of staving it off. However, 9-58 is not going to last forever. What else can I say? I think those are both very expected takes, except maybe, like, if you do have Varlamov, you need to consider the fact that he might be in a timeshare the rest of the season. If Bernier keeps playing, I mean, at this point, he doesn't even need to to, to have the lights out when he, when he tends net. Varlamov has not been good enough to really challenge anybody who's even playing, uh, like, 9-17 hockey. So... That's something you need to consider as a Varlamov owner. No denying how hot Jonathan Bernier has been. He has been pretty awesome. 
Okay. I feel like you really were like rolling at the end, trying to like roll back what you were saying about Bernier not being awesome. He's good. All right. He's good for now. Uh, some really good takes here in the chat room. Tony is saying that the Avs schedule is the opposite of what it's been. 16 of their next 18 games are on the road. So if that's correct, which I have no reason to expect it not to be with such a great chat room member as Tony. Yeah, that might be another reason to expect Jonathan Bernier or Varlamov to not be able to keep this up. So something to keep in mind, a lot harder to win on the road. And so since we're on the Avalanche, where does Tyson Berry could be back? as soon as maybe even tomorrow versus the Leafs. I haven't seen definitively like one way or the other if he's going to play, but at some point soon, Tyson Barry is going to be back from his hand injury. Sam Girard has been great lately. A seven assists in his last nine games, six of them on the power play, but it'll probably be time to let him go. I'd assume once Barry takes the power play one job back, like this is kind of like my Paul Stasny take, right? Like Stasny has been great, but now like Schwartz is coming back and I'm worried that Stasny doesn't have a role. I'm more confident in Sam Girard not having a role once Tyson Barry is back. So I feel like, uh, you know, enjoyed, you enjoyed Sam Girard. If you had him, now it might be time to consider letting him go. And if anything, like I, even if like while Sam Girard has been there, I still probably would have rather had the other Colorado D-man in the picture, which is Eric Johnson. Oh my God. Like remember at the start of the year, he only had like one assist in his first 10 games. And I think we, maybe it was me, Brian, you could correct, you could remind me if it was just me or if you were with me on this, but I definitely remember saying that I still thought Eric Johnson was worth owning because he was on the ice for so many goals. Like I just thought he was like on the ice for goals, but like he just wasn't getting a goal or an assist on those goals. But you always expect that that's not going to last and he's going to start getting in on the expected number. Like I think for defense is like 30% or 40% of the goals while they're on the ice. Also like Johnson was taking all these shots. Anyways, that was the first 10 games since then with his one goal and one assist yesterday versus the Rangers. Johnson has 18 points in 33 games after that first 10 games. That's a 44 point pace. Not bad for a defenseman that is also pulling an Alex Edler and filling all the buckets. Like, I guess not power play points, but, you know, shots, hits, blocks. Like, Eric Johnson is awesome. I feel like if he's still in free agency and your league counts hits, blocks, or shots, it may be time to consider getting him on your roster. I'd be surprised if he's still there, actually. Like, I really like Eric Johnson. I think I'd prefer him over Edler. I don't know. That one's tough because Edler gets the top power play time, but I like them both. Who would you prefer between Eric Johnson and Oscar Clefbaum? I think this is a softball. Yeah, give me Johnson, especially yeah. while Clefbaum's off. If, if Clefbaum, you know, gets back on the top power play, then I might have to reconsider. And it really, at that point, depends on what categories I care about. But Eric Johnson's just been so consistent, so solid. He doesn't need the top power play time to get this 44-point pace. That's very impressive. And I don't see a reason, like, as long as Colorado keeps scoring, which I, you know, like, also, I don't see a reason why they're going to completely slow down. Like, I think Eric Johnson's getting in on it. And plus, the, I love defensemen who give me lots of shots on goal. That's so handy. And by the way, let me put some good vibes into the universe. I could really use a good Brent Burns, like eight shots on goal night to night. When you're listening to this podcast, you'll know whether I got my wish or not. I am wishing for you right now in the past. Okay. And I also wish, of course, that you, the valued listener of our show, enjoyed this episode of Keeping Carlson. I had a great time recording it. I had a great time hanging out with Brian and everyone in the chat room. So yeah, thanks to everyone for listening, you know, for the patrons. Thanks for supporting the show. You know, we're deep into the season. So you listening to the show right now, you're the real like hardcore listeners that didn't trail off because they realized that they're not going to win their leagues. So we really love having you. And, you know, I just want to say thank you for supporting our show just by listening. You're supporting the show. But obviously, if you want to do more, you can follow us on Twitter. You can tweet us. By the way, we love giving advice on Twitter. You tweet us. We try to get back to you. You know, whenever, within the day, usually. So that's at Keeping Carlson. Also, uh, you could give us a five-star review on iTunes if you want to do us a favor. It costs you nothing. You're already on the internet, probably. You have your phone. You're listening to this podcast. Head on over to iTunes. Throw us a five-star review. You don't even have to leave a comment if you want to leave a comment. It helps us out. I'm pretty sure it helps us out. I actually don't know. It's not as if like we've gotten rich and famous because of these five-star reviews, but it, has, it hasn't hurt. 
Some people have heard of us through iTunes. Brian, sorry, I'm rambling. Uh, there's also our patron program. Check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. A ton of perks we're offering. Like we've got bonus content every week. We've got our Facebook group. We've got like a bunch of other stuff. So it's all written out there really nicely. Brian wrote it. Brian's really good at writing stuff. So you can check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron and you could look at all his great grammar and the way he puts sentences together. It's fantastic. With that, I think I'm done. Let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons, many of them who have been with us for a very long time, including Patty. Also, uh, while I'm at it, shout out to some of the people who have given us a recent iTunes review, especially Ridiculous14, who titled his review, or her review, but it says Dirk in capital letters. Anyway, uh, dorks, but lovable dorks. I guess we appreciate that. Thanks also to Double Take Winchman. I, I'm not going to read all the names. Thank you to anyone who's ever left us an iTunes review. Become a patron. Elon, you just did all that. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, Charting Hockey, which is at Sean Tierney's Twitter account. Uh, you can find it at Charting Hockey. Uh, writes for The Athletic, too. But he's got links to all these vizs they're called like visualization that you can track team and player performance by some very handy stuff there that i love playing around with and don't credit often enough so there it is charting hockey also hockeygoalies.org hockey reference hockey viz hockey database elite prospects roto world and fan tracks great job brian is sean tierney related to chris tierney of the san jose sharks you know? no you know that he's not or you don't know unlikely Probably. Uh, you never know. He actually had a good run. I was thinking of bringing him up on today's show, but then he went cold recently. Anyway, okay, great job as always, Brian. And we will catch all of you for our next episode next Sunday, every week, like clockwork, 8 p.m. You can join us live, keepingcarlson.com slash live. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. <laughs>